welcome to another episode of How to Start a Startup by Hyper. This episode is all about partnerships. What are the benefits of partners? How to find partners? How to find good partners? What type of success rate should you expect? Tracking effectiveness of partnerships and much more. So with that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, welcome everyone. I would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to the elders, past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Cool. Well, thanks for the tunes, Josh. That was really good. Um, Today, we're going to be chatting about something that I myself am slowly but surely getting my head around. Uh, partnerships. Now, I started at Luna uh, well over a year ago, and one of the first things that struck me was just how pivotal a role partnerships played in building Luna and our community. And be it in the work that we do for founders, for investors, for future entrepreneurs and students, partnerships truly are at the core of how we and perhaps many of you here today operate. Uh, And of course, while partnerships are a great way to boost your brand's awareness and acquire new customers and accelerate growth, uh, I quickly learned that at the very core of a good partnership is human connection. Um, And at the risk of sounding a little bit romantic, I will admit that partnerships are about uh, trust and understanding. And it's really about finding common ground, helping one another out, and really seeing things through to create that win-win outcome. But let's not get ourselves. Partnerships can feel a little bit tricky, um, especially when it comes to um, an environment of rapid growth like the startup ecosystem. You are constantly, constantly wrestling with the idea of balancing resources and strategy and commitment and people. And it it just feels like there's so much going on. Um, So questions are, of course, bound to arise. Uh, Where do you look for partners in the first place? How do you demonstrate credibility? Um, How do you play your cards right to land the ones you want to? And what does creating that win-win situation truly, truly look like? Uh, So hopefully today we're going to be unpacking um, a bit of that, if not all. Uh, But before we get underway, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nikita and I am the Marketing Community Manager here at Luna. Um, For those of you who don't know Luna, we basically exist to help founders launch and grow their businesses. And we do this via a range of services. Um, We've got our legal arm, which looks at all your legal operational needs from setting up all the way through to taking on investment and buying and selling at the end. Um, We also have our accounting arm, which supports the end-to-end financial needs of founders throughout all stages. So think bookkeeping, payroll, forecasting, tax, valuations, uh, pretty much the whole gamut. Uh, And we also have our labs arm, um, where I fall. And we focus on building educational opportunities at the school level, university level, and finally at the founder level. Uh, And we also focus on curating events and workshops, um, very much like this controller and um, hoping to add value to people who are already in the ecosystem or looking to be in the ecosystem. Um, Before we bring on our guest, I do have to do a bit of Zoom keeping. Um, So today's webinar is going to go on for an hour. Uh, We will leave about 10 minutes towards the end for questions, but please feel free to type them using the Q&A function just below. Also, this session is being recorded, um, and as always, we'll we'll share it with any resources that we talk about today. Um, Cool. That's all for Zoom keeping. Uh, I am now going to bring our guest on. It is my absolute pleasure to be uh, talking to Sam today, who is the director of Hyper. Um, For those of you who don't know, Hyper is a global startup incubator, and they guide founders to validate, build, grow their tech businesses um, from idea all the way through to taking on investment. Uh, And Sam's pretty much been central to bringing this to life. Um, He's also been in the tech industry for about 10 years, and so clearly has immense amounts of experience in building um, startups from the ground up. So all of that is why I'm excited to be talking to you today, Sam. Welcome. Thanks, Nikita. Thanks very much for having me and everyone tuning in. Um, I am so excited to talk about partnerships and pick your brains a bit today, Sam. But before we get into that, 
Uh, can you just tell us all a bit about yourself and background, how you came to finding yourself in, in the startup space? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, as Nikita mentioned, hi, everyone. My name's Sam, uh, director of a company named Hyper, a fantastic partner with Luna, which we'll talk about throughout as well. But yeah, my journey into startup land uh, started around 10 years ago, uh, where I was the founding team member at a startup called Loke, uh, which is now one of Australia and the UK's largest platforms for loyalty and payment solutions for the hospitality industry. So if you ever use Messina app or the Chargill Charlie app, just to name a few, uh, that's us. I was actually studying at university at the time and the tech scene was really, really early here in Australia. I think um, iPhones had only come out maybe a year or two before. So, you know, we were dealing with apps breaking all the time uh, and everything was very, very immature. Um, but that's the reason why I fell in love, you know, with the industry um, and the spirit of startups, you know, literally building things from the ground up and just trying to work it out as you go. Fast forward 10 years and going through, I guess, the ups and downs of being a part of building a startup, raising capital, growth, securing partnerships. As you mentioned earlier, there's so much to it in terms of building a startup. Uh, that's really where Hyper was born to support early stage founders, getting their ideas safely off the ground and taking a lot of the learnings we've had as entrepreneurs ourselves. Yeah, that's amazing. Honestly, um, well, I didn't know that you were there at the time when the apps were, you know, not really apps in total. But um, so how, what would you say um, is is your mission at Hyper when it comes to, to the partnership side of things? Yeah, um, for sure. So I guess, you know, ultimately our mission at Hyper is to, you know, provide the safest and most efficient pathway to launch and run a technology business. And what really underpins our mission for partnerships is to establish ourselves within the industry as the only way founders should begin their technology startup. So in turn, we aim to give our founders access to the strongest strongest possible partners as possible to really foster their journey. So for example, you know, relying on Luna to really assist with those needs um, as well. And in turn, establish a two-way relationship where all our partners are working together, sharing business with founders' success and support being at the heart of it all. Yeah, I know. Um, I love that. And yeah, it has been... Um, quite a journey partnering with Hyper. I'm not really sure how many years we're into, but um, there's many to go. Um, yeah. <laughs> cool. I feel like, um, you know, we talk about partnerships as this very natural byproduct in the startup ecosystem. Everyone should be helping everyone. And, um, you know, that's how that's how they build their businesses. But I'm sure there's a lot of people also joining us today who know that side mm. of stuff. But just so that we're all on the same page, can you perhaps break down um, just what partnerships are and sort of what the different types of partnerships you see, particularly in the startup context? Yeah. So really it's like demystifying um, this complex idea around what partnerships are and really, and that's what I'll aim to do today is really simplify it to have some actionables out of it. So a partner is anyone with a database or a network um, that is not a direct competitor. So for an early stage startup, we like to break the types of partners, I guess, into a few different segments. So beginning with perhaps a two-way referral partner to increase both of your customers' audience and add value. Uh, so a fantastic one of this of recent, I think it was during the pandemic last year, where the Calm app, which everyone's probably used, I think the meditation app, partnered with Amex being a, a large banking um, traditional business. And an EDM was sent out to, you know, millions of users of Amex to say, hey, download the Car Map and give you, you know, 50% off your first three months. Not only did it add value to the Car Map in increasing downloads, but added, I guess, a great amount of um, brand equity and, type, you know, care for customers during a, um, you know, financial stressful period. So we look at, you know, a two-way relationship partnership in that element where it's adding value. Um, now what we're seeing more ever present is a partner whom by your revenue strategy is really underpinned. So a lot of founders and, and businesses are starting now without a consumer um, paying, I guess, um, for the platform initially. Um, that way that there's no barrier to usage, especially early on. So there's a lot of referral and partnership revenue streams that follow on from there. So if we think about a, a booking platform, if you've ever used booking.com or maybe reservation system, et cetera, um, where the hotel will actually pay for that partnership. So that's really integral. And then my favourite type of partnership is really a strategic investor slash partner. Mm -hmm. um, so 
some examples around that is, you know, a point of sale company, you know, that works within, say, the hospitality industry may invest in a consumer hospitality app. Um, not only does that provide capital and strategic support um, to help roll out their platform, but it also um, means that, you know, they're adding another great product suite to their existing customers as well. Uh, we last year had a on-demand um, tools platform delivering tools for tradies on site. I think if you forgot, you know, your nuts and bolts and you're halfway through a build or whatever it may be. And that business actually uh, raised a, a great amount of capital from a well-known hardware business. Um, so they came on as strategic advisors, but the partnership was really strong there because mm -hmm. not only were they providing access to their tools and equipment to help them launch, but launching and, and opening up to their entire customer database to suggest they do that. So great, you know, avenue there for a partnership. Yeah, that sounds interesting. It's almost like it's gone from just being like a marketing channel to like a revenue yeah. model and then also mm -hmm. pretty much like a whole entire like strategic growth model. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly. Which is um, which is really interesting. But I I know and I, you know, I've been in that position before where I'm like, cool, I, I know what I'd like to get out of it. Uh, but how do I look for these people? How do what's the first step? Where do I find these partners? Yeah. So really, you know, getting a pen and paper out or an Excel spreadsheet, um, utilizing a lot of resources that you do have online now, which is fantastic. But yeah, I guess step one is really start by thinking what other brands, organizations, services, or even communities are out there, you know, locally and nationally to start to begin with that have a similar or the same customer base as the one you are trying to reach to. You know, that's really, really important to understand. Um, so for example, with ourselves and Luna, you know, we identified together that we're here to support early stage founders or founders going through growth. Fantastic, great partnership. Um, and then once you've identified that partner or that potential organisation, really identify who is the decision maker and who you should get in contact with to discuss, you know, your product or, or potential partnership. And, you know, fantastic things like LinkedIn really, you know, have come a long way. I remember, you know, as I said, starting out um, 10 or so years ago prior to LinkedIn where you'd have to, you know, cold call and research on the internet, that information's in your hands now, which is great. Um, and then, you know, really finding out what there is to gain from the partnership, having a really, I guess, um, deep think about, you know, the win-win element of it. What are they going to be looking for? What are we going to be looking for? Mm -hmm. How does this fit within what I mentioned earlier in those three tiers, is it um, a two-way referral partner? Could they potentially be a strategic investor partner or could they potentially, um, you know, be really, really underpinning in our revenue strategy? And then just to bring it back as well, because you're probably going to be creating a big list and, and get really excited, is start to actually, you know, go small and gradually grow, you know, your potential partnerships. So yeah. what we often recommend to our founders and, and what we know that works really well in the past is creating a, a tiered approach. So tiered one, tier two, tier three on, you know, how hard it is to get these partners. And that can be based on the size of their customer base, the size of the strength of their brand equity. You know, if you're trying to partner with Nike straight away, we know that they've got a lot of, um, and understandably, um, uh, brand equity in place that they're not just willing to potentially partner straight away. You've got to build that up. But if it is another emerging startup um, that is also trying to go through growth, let's try and have a mm -hmm. conversation with them and get some wins on the board. And further to your point earlier, uh, Nikita, around the, the whole humanising the element, at the end of the day, um, to really break down, I guess, the, the black and white nature of partnerships and remember that behind each company are people. Um, mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, we're building personal relationships with each other and each other's team, and that's really important. So trying to do things like, you know, the first instance, you know, going out for a coffee, um, getting to know them, understand what they're doing, their growth trajectory. What does the partnership look like today? But what does it look like in the future? You know, we see some great things. Are you looking to expand together um, into an international market? Okay, well, how can we leverage off each other's services or, mm. or platform or customer base in order to do so as well? So just taking a bit of a, a holistic thinking around that. Yeah, no, for sure. Exactly. And that's what I was saying in the beginning. Mm it's easy to like list down a big number and, you know, and say we've achieved so much with so many and, you know, the number of partnerships yeah. endless, but um, you know, this ties into to an observation, which, uh, which I wanted to ask you about. I came across mm. um, a term called vanity partnerships, right. Mm. Um, and it's basically what happens when people are just trying to take off the number of partnerships they should achieve. And it's just, you know, be all these sort of number driven. 
Um, and it happens when you don't know your why. Uh, and I'm curious to know how, how do you avoid this sort of vanity partnership syndrome? How do you identify or really recognize that something will be a good fit? Yeah, that's an interesting term, um, vanity partnerships. And I think it goes for predominantly the, the nature of most business relationships, whether it's partnerships, whether it's, you know, trying to secure a major deal from your startup or even, you know, hire, et cetera, um, is, you know, going in with a, with a plan. And we know that the best plan is often thinking about putting yourselves in the shoes of the other person. And, uh, you know, what are, What do they actually want to gain from this partnership? What do they want to gain from this? And really understand, you know, is it brand exposure for their platform? Um, is it revenue? Is it support? Is it all of those things? Is it, in, you know, ensuring that their customers have, um, you know, uh, an even more incredible experience by working with your partner? And then it's really important to do some fact-finding um, to ensure you're going in with this plan. So have they had a media release lately on other partnerships? You know, what did they look like? Um, you know, what do you think worked? What do you think didn't work? Um, so, you know, you can walk into that meeting and, and have a slide deck ready to go with all your, you know, the partnerships and strategies and ideas. But before you're even doing and presenting something like that, you really want to understand and just simply ask from the questions, you know, how best can we help you? How can we grow together? You know, really coming in as a, a solid, that's why it's called a partnership because it's mm -hmm. doing something achievable together. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you look for in a healthy relationship? what hasn't worked in the past, et cetera. So asking those questions, not only are you going to get the information that you need, um, but it's setting up that partnership for longer-term success and shows that you care and it signals that you're looking for a win-win outcome, not a one-sided partnership. So that's a really, really important thing to ensure that that vanity element doesn't come into it, that you're really taking in the understanding of helping them to achieve the goals that they want to together. Yeah, no. That's so interesting. Uh, I mean, of course, you got to do your like, legwork and your homework yeah. before um, before you show up to speak to anyone about wanting to collaborate, mm -hmm. I guess. But clearly, on the flip side, they're going to be doing the same, right? They're going to yeah. they're going to want to look at what you do, what you're up to, what's your purpose, um, and what you're getting out of partnerships with others um, that mm -hmm. you are um, partnering with, um, which sort of brings me to this point of how, you know, how our startups or just like how our business is looking, like how do they build their own brand equity? How do they market themselves so that the people they want to partner with um, know that this is going to be a great value add? Yeah. So there's, you know, there is a, you know, quite a bit unknown if it is your first time doing a partnership. Um, you know, we typically we want to look at historical data that may have been able to just say that we know this is a good way, but the truth for a lot of startups, that's why it's a startup because everything is new and starting up. Um, but, you know, if you really have at the forefront of your mind to ensure, as I said, things like brand equity and credibility, you know, that really win-win element in your conversation. So for a partnership to occur, we know that you have to offer something identifiable and exciting um, you know, value to the people or organisation that you want to attract. Mm -hmm. So it does not necessarily have to be financial as long as it's beneficially impacts them or their customers' base in a way that is measurable. So, um, you know, to kind of answer that, I really believe that the power of social connecting platforms such as LinkedIn and these other elements are actually really great tools and powerful tools to break down the usual barriers of gatekeepers to get in touch with other companies. So if you're a new startup and, you know, your startup doesn't have much brand equity yet or hasn't got much voice in the market and you're trying to connect with a brand that does, well, building your own personal platform and really building up your own equity as an expert in a space and someone that, you know, is seen to look professional um, is really going to allow you and help you to emerge and have that kind of conversation. So the best founders that we see are those who build up, I guess, an expert status and professional mm. brand and then, um, you know, really then reach out to connections for a coffee and humanize that relationship from the very beginning and continually build that credibility um, over time to then introduce their brand as well. So at the forefront of your company, of your startup is you. So if you don't have that credibility of the brand yet, make yourself the credible person within the industry that they want to chat with. Love that. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's really um, interesting to see, like we keep coming back to you know that sort of human connect and and you know mm -hmm. all just coming down to you got to be personable and and make those um make those soft relationship moments that count uh but i do know that there's a lot of people that probably like aren't 
made partnerships or like I find yeah. it sort of difficult to navigate, but you know, you're thrown into that situation, you're a founder, you're a small team, you're going into like a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, what what is the best way to prepare for that meeting? You know, be it whether it's a coffee um or if it's something a little more a little more serious. Um yeah. what are you supposed to do? Uh you know, should you be upfront about what you're exactly after? At the same time, how do you sort of demonstrate that you're prepared and willing um, to make it work? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. You know, there is a, a strong element of business development, you know, in this partnership. So um, the ability to have confidence and, um, you know, I guess it is in a way a sales meeting to really mm-hmm. secure that partnership. Um, so I think that, you know, sales is a very important part of the startup um, or business development is because you're going out there and you're building your own brand, your own voice, and you've really got to, you know, roll with the punches as well in terms of any knockbacks or, you know, now's not the right time, et cetera, and be resilient. Um, so in terms of, you know, preparing for those meetings, um, yeah, trying to understand the person, you know, as much as you can, um, trying to get as much information to, to be able to navigate through that. Um, and, yeah, I guess just showing it a real sense of, care um, and understanding and, and wanting to partner you know for a long-term vision not to just grab customers and and grab some revenue it's just like no we deeply want to make an impact that's, that's above all that and that stuff will, will, will follow um, so that's super important and sometimes it could be a good idea um, just to kind of like you know to give to get in return um, mm-hmm. so you know that old prophecy you know within life but it's also there for in business as well so is there something potentially that I know that they're going to be a pretty hard partner to get or a little bit difficult. Okay, well, what could we actually give them straight away to prove ourselves, to show ourselves? So in return, you know, they can see how that actually trans, you know, transfolds for us to potentially look at partnering with them as well. Um, so start to think a little bit outside the box. You know, you can do all your general preparation and get the partnership deck ready. Um, you know, things like, you know, get a conversation, you know, starters to try and get them actively involved in, in the conversation. But what could you do to actually give them a bit of X factor um, to actually mm-hmm. be like, okay, this person and this company is different to the five others that are hitting me up. I, I like where they're coming from. And I think that give to get super powerful. Could you, um, you know, reach out to the founder of another business and say, hey, I'm attending a, a networking event that's in our industry. I was just hoping to see if you'd like to come along. Um, do something yeah. a little bit different to really change that approach so it's seen as that give to get. And I think that could be really super powerful. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think now more than never, it's just getting, it's harder, but the stuff you see that people do to break through the noise, it gets more and more mm. interesting. Um, uh, there is a question that's come in from Sasha, nice. um, which, uh, and he's asked, what are the signs that a partnership isn't working or it's too one-sided? What should you yeah. be looking out for? What are the red flags? Yeah, for sure. I think that at the very beginning, you need to set measurable goals, right? Because if it's one side and it's not, and you haven't set those goals at the beginning, um, it's hard to understand if you've waned off that. So, you know, if you've set those at the very beginning and um, it's becoming a one-sided affair, so there should be certain checks and balances in place within that partnership, within those two organisations that should be able to identify that earlier. So things like, you know, your team should meet once a month, once a quarter, whatever you think's the right thing to do. Um, and then from there, you know, you'd be able to then identify if that relationship's not working or not with red flags and just have a conversation, you know, really catch up. You know, that's why bigger businesses now or even startups as they're growing are actually employing specific partnership managers because this is such a big part of their business that they need to manage them as if they're their own accounts or customers um so really staying on top put as part of like you know your weekly to-do list in understanding block out an hour you know how's this relationship working against the goals that we set out at the very beginning with this organization yeah no um that ties in so well to what i was um thinking about which is what are your you know sort of um like points in measurement, you know, you're looking at the lead yeah. and you're looking at the revenues, but of course, I think there's a, there's a healthy aspect of um, adding a bit of your, the follow-ups, like you said. Um, we also actually have a follow-up question from Sasha, which is um, what type of success rate can you expect when you're seeking partnerships? Is something like one in five realistic? So success rates in terms of, and I'm presuming, thanks Sasha for the question, that on the amount of outreaches that I get back, 
um, that they would actually come through. Yeah, look, it's hard to really define a metric on it. Um, you know, what I would suggest going back to my earlier statement before is creating a really strong list of the organization and the people, and I guess, um, what you're seeking. And then from there, you can use a lot of, you know, tools such as, you know, LinkedIn or email campaigns, um, and send it out to then see how many come back to you and and go through from there. So you might reach out to 50 partners, Mm -hmm. um, 15 come back to you, you sit down with, um, 10 of them and you close three or four. Um, so it's hard to really define the exact elements of it, but I guess if you follow the methods as to how you pipeline your partnerships, it should increase the amount that you do. Um, so utilizing, I guess, technical tools in order to streamline those outreaches. And curious, Sam, what, at what point, like you, you know, you're growing your pipeline, um, of potential partnerships. At what point should someone look at actually bringing on someone who specializes in in, in leading this as, as a growth strategy? Yeah, cool. Um, so it's really based on, I guess, the founding team and where their strengths lie. Um, a lot of the great founders that we see actually um, take on the ownership of partnerships themselves from the beginning. Not only are they managing so many other aspects of their business, but especially early on, you are you know, the voice, you are the storyteller, you are the person behind the company. So usually the founder will actually take on that role at the very beginning. Um, And then once they've grown and they're, you know, starting to realize that they maybe set those partnerships, they could then potentially employ someone else to hand over. But usually that relationship will still be there at potentially senior level. Um, Or if you're a founder that potentially doesn't feel that they have the strongest skill set within the, you know, partnership or business development side, you know, you may actually bring on another co-founder. You might bring on someone that could be a potential starting um, or founding team member that might be given some equity or um, so grow that as it is. Or if you've received, you know, an amount of capital um, that's allowing you to then employ someone to do it, there's a fantastic amount of partnership managers that a lot of the big startups here in Australia have paved the way for how they look. Um, So if you look at a lot of the big startups here, they'll have specific partner managers even mm. within industry verticals now. Um, so there's mm. some great talent there too if you're in a position and fortunate enough to be able to hire someone to do that. Yeah, it's. I find it so amazing to see. Like a few years ago, uh, no one really looked at this as, mm. you know, a job in and of itself. Uh, and now it is. And it's like you yeah. said, there's maybe multiple people um, handling that. Uh, yeah. Which brings me to the point of, you know, partnership success like successes yeah but what do you do after you've had like that one successful first project you know you're like cool we landed this partnership we worked well mm. together we got the results how do you then go on to sustain this what are you yeah. doing to you know lose that momentum and like play for the long run yeah so i'll answer that um in two parts just thinking about it so first of all um, I think you might have asked this question before um, before Sasha's question came in, but, you know, how do we actually measure the success mm-hmm. um, to then understand how we actually follow on with that? Um, so in terms of understanding the success, we probably want to look at two key elements. So transactionally, um, you know, how did we actually perform if we were going into a more of a revenue agreement? So there's some really great partnership platforms that we use and, and a lot of people use within the, within the industry that actually exist to track the revenue and metrics of partnerships. As you alluded to before, that's how much the industry has grown now that people are actually building products for partnerships, which is great. Mm-hmm. So, for example, one of our partners at Hyper is Airwallex, um, which I'm sure most people have uh, known within the fintech space, and they use a platform um, called PartnerStack, uh, which we're set up with an account with all their other partners, I'm sure, which actually tracks every referred lead um, and the revenue that lead that lead brings in and in a really transparent way. So we're able to actually measure that um, through a transactional element. And then overall, you know, what we're trying to understand is customer satisfaction from both ends. You know, having a referral partner in your ecosystem that your customer has great experience with ultimately is a reflection on you too. So even if there isn't a monetary outcome associated with your partnership, if your customer experience with your partner who has referred you is positive, then the customer feedback is a direct measure. So being able to measure that in some way. So how we look at, um, to answer your question, how we look at 
actually being able to understand, okay, how do we sustain these partnerships? How do we check in? What do we do next? How's it actually going? Really something that we do a lot within Hyper and our founders do is to go back to this point before, but I think it is so important is humanize that element. So as soon as we have a partnership, we will cap, you know, get, you know, some of our team and some of their team to actually catch up, create a personal relationship, understand, you know, there's great communication tools like Slack. You can add partners into your Slack direct channel now and really create that team, you know, winning partner feeling. And then from there, you know, in that, you know, initial um, outlay is then putting together a bit of a plan, you know, what a success look like, what do you guys have as your boundaries that we can use your brand or, or whatever that may look like, have monthly catch-ups, you know, testing what worked, what didn't work. Did we do an event campaign? Did we do an EDM? You know, did it work? What can we tweak? So understanding things aren't always going to go perfect and we and we know that and, and going back to Sasha's question earlier about, you know, red flags if it's not working, but really communication, you know, ultimately really aims to resolve anything. So that's really, really important. So yeah, putting people in place like partnership managers or taking direct responsibility to really follow up and understanding that every partner you deal with is different too. So you can't mm. just have a one-stop shop partnership template and just say mm. just because you're this business and that business so you know putting some time and effort into actually creating a, a really custom strategy around your partnerships once you've actually got them on board together yeah that's right i mean i couldn't agree more you can't um templatize your sort of partnership strategy to suit mm. everyone it's just not not gonna run um we yeah. have a question from michael somewhere along those lines it's an interesting one um, he says sometimes partnerships could mean that um, your partners will have high influence on your product roadmap. Um, what advice would you have for founders to balance your investments and features for general public versus sort of becoming a servant of specific partners just because that partnership looks like immediate success? Yeah, fantastic question. I think that at the core of it is your customer. You know, your customer is the one that's paying. The customer is the reason why you've identified a problem to fix. So understanding at the end of the day, what is, what, what do our customers want? Is it, you know, what we have in the roadmap of our own product or is it something of adding weight of what our partners can actually bring in? Um, so that's, you know, what I believe at the end of the day, your customer is first because they're the ones that are using the platform. So just being able to understand, okay, well, where does that fit into my product roadmap? Ensuring that's what I've identified that my customers ultimately need. Um, so to break that down is, uh, you know, doing some focus testing, customer interviews, really understanding, and then scoping in how that may potentially help. Yeah, cool. Um, Michael, I hope that answered your question well. Um, we also have a few questions around sort of at what point in the startup process, you know, which we were talking about earlier, at what point do you begin reaching out to potential mm. partners? Um, is it once the business is up and running or once you just have a yeah. prototype or once you have investors or even like just like a beta version? Um, both Diego and Catherine have the same similar question. Yeah, that's no, a fantastic question. And, you know, what we actually do as part of our Accelerate program is partnerships is built into the strategy at the very beginning you know really at the very beginning because there's so much that can be gained and benefited from it um so really i believe that it really should be at the very beginning of when you're conceptually thinking about your idea um and building that out from there because um it is such a key component so what can often happen is that business startups start to build their business focusing only directly on how they can actually individually attract their customers. So um, users don't just fall off trees, as we know. Um, acquiring users through marketing, advertising is also a costly exercise. So it takes time and capital to actually identify where the return on investment is coming from too. So forming partnerships with a business that holds an existing and engaged customer base with similarities to your target audience um, is the fastest way to get initial traction and uptake of your product. So that can be at the very beginning of when you go, have your go-to-market strategy. Um, so that from then, you know, to get the to get you know building this into your actually go-to-market strategy will put you in a good place. Um, and then even thinking about it from yeah, the, when you are starting out building your platform, okay, how can we look at ways that partnerships or partners can integrate? you know, through APIs into our platform and we can feed data and information. So I purely, you know, strongly believe that partnership strategy needs to be built at the very beginning 
Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't built it out, you know, it's never too late. Um, but certainly sitting down and thinking about, okay, cool. Well, from a product point of view, how can our partnerships work? From a customer growth, how can our product, um, how can our partnerships um, exist and help us as well? Yeah, cool. Um, I think it's the same. It, it's come, it comes back to the same point, like you said. Like you have to sort of rejig your strategy depending on who you're serving. And mm-hmm. you could have multiple audiences. You could have multiple sort of markets that you're operating in. Um, Loic actually has a question similar in the sort of peripheral area. Um, yeah. That when you're establishing a startup that relies almost entirely on, on partnerships, mm-hmm. are there sort of additional steps or additional measures that you should consider when you're preparing to pitch or meet with potential partners? Yeah, look, so as I mentioned earlier in the kind of, and what we're seeing furthermore now is the types of partners. And I think it was point two I spoke about earlier about how a business you know, relies purely on third-party partners for their revenue model. Um, so that is really important. And, and it, what I would suggest to them is an element of exclusivity. You know, so if um, I'm using a travel app as an example, and I, um, you know, it's for booking flights, you know, do I, you know, there's seven different airlines that I can go to and have conversations with. Um, so how do I actually approach them in a way and say, Hey, you know, X airline, you know, I want to actually create like an exclusive arrangement with you. I've identified that, you know, you deeply care and, and, and have a similar, I guess, business ethic to what we want to do here. You're also in a similar stage. You know, you're also needing someone to help help you grow your customer database too. Um, so really trying to provide that, I guess, exclusivity, find someone who's working, you know, and having the same, you know, growth um, trajectory as you and really trying to come with them from that end rather than just going to any business um, and trying to form that partnership, which can be a little bit difficult. So really trying to understand some other businesses that are going through similar growth journeys as you who can only aim to win and win out of it. Um, so I hope that kind of helps in understanding of how to really identify those businesses. Um, and just, I think coming from that approach is more likely to have success than just saying, you know, we want you on our platform. This is what you're going to get. You know, it's, it's like, let's actually be part of building something together here within the industry. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's an interesting one because I feel, Mm. um, I feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, an aspect of like safety and maybe like insecurity and vulnerability when your whole model is sort of dependent on, um, on partners, um, which, um, and I think around that aspect of safety, there's, I'm not sure who anonymous attendee is, and I don't know if what the questions are from the same person, but, um, they have, they have asked, do you need a contract before entering a partnership? Is it done on good faith? Um, and then how are you tracking this effectiveness? Are they sending you reports? Is it just referral codes? I know you mentioned a few platforms, but yeah. can you explain that sort of, like, how do you, how do you keep yourself safe? Yeah. So I guess um, there's a lot of conversation around this in the startup land and we get people all the time who don't want to share their idea, um, you know, and have NDAs, et cetera. And, you know, I guess the old um, tale is that tell everyone, you know, you've got to get it out there and, and be excited mm-hmm. by it. So I think, you know, if you create too much privacy around your idea or confidentiality, you know, if you're not having conversations, it's not going to get anywhere. And yeah, it can, you know, understandably, um, not come off well when you're trying to create that partnership by saying, oh, you know, here's an NDA, um, then I'll chat with you when you're the one trying to reach out as well. But I do understand mm-hmm. the element of privacy. So that's why it is really important to understand who is the person you're dealing with. Can I see that they're, um, you know, from their social presence, can I say there's someone that can, you know, be trustworthy, et cetera. Um, so, you know, you can have an element of privacy. There are things like NDAs existing there to have that initial conversation. But at the end of the day, for them to want to steal your idea and work on it and solve the problem you're doing is probably a, a really, really low percentage. Um, and then, yeah, the second question around what does that engagement look like? So, you know, sometimes it can be a handshake agreement, but, you know, very, very early days. Um, but what we can look at, you know, is a um, certain partnership documents of outlining, you know, contractually how that looks. What's the percentage fee of, um, of, of revenue that's split? Um, so I think it's called an MOU from memory. Um, that you can actually put in and speak to the guys at Learner to help you to set you up one of these um, documents um, to be able to put in, you know, structure in place of what the partnership looks like, how it's being revenue, what are the clauses that may not use it, how is your brand allowed to be used, et cetera. So there's a few mm-hmm. things there that you can kind of have in place around that. Yeah, um, 
no, I fully agree. I think you have to sort of look at um, balancing the good faith with um, mm-hmm. some proper sort of legal structure in place and like legal yeah. in place, um, which lends into sort of Michael Crone's question, which is how do you manage the risk of partners competing with you um, other than through sort of the contractual and legal means that we just spoke about? Yeah, so managing the risk um, in terms of them potentially taking um, intellectual information, I'm presuming, or maybe I'm, I'm uh, assuming. Yeah, I think, yeah, cool. I think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think yeah, Nikita, you kind of you know balance that well. There, you know, by having an element of good faith, and and that's why you know human connection is important to really you know build that trust. Um, but also then, yeah, potentially if there are certain legal elements you may want to have in place, just to ensure that there are guidelines to how that relationship looks, that there can't be any, you know, stealing of customer data or whatever it may look like in terms of that. So it's just based on, you know, how you think that you want to present that and what information you hold tight that you don't want to be sharing with partners. Um, I know it exists in the hospitality industry where some integrated providers uh, won't actually share customer data to their partners. Um, so there are things like that that do exist. So, um, yeah, we take examples of what out, what's out there. We look at what's legally, um, you know, available to us and then create, I guess, a, a set of rules or templates to which the business wants to be binded by, but understanding as well, you know, how's that going to fit into what the customer wants to get out or your partner wants to get out of it too. Yeah. Cool. Michael, I hope that answered your, um, question slightly on a different beat though he's got um, another one which is more on the side of startups versus sort of corporates and how do you blend the two how do you as a startup um approach um you know uh, a bigger player in the game a big corporate Uh, yes is there a different strategy to that you can't just be operating on like the good faith then so what does that look like yeah, for sure. So I guess in terms of being able to get through to a larger corporate that you may be wanting to partner with, we're actually seeing a fantastic transition um, over the past, let's say, even 12 months, where a lot of traditional corporates or bigger brands are actually wanting to partner with smaller um, startups. So um, if it is a traditional business that isn't actually part of um, the startup industry, so it could be a large bricks and mortar business, but they could potentially partner with a startup to add value to their service or add value to their current customers. We're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, So I wouldn't be too daunted by um, approaching them because they want to see ways that they can actually get into the tech industry because it's not going anywhere. It's only ever getting bigger, which is great. Um, So, yeah, being able to identify those, bring it back, I guess, to understanding who the person is that you're going to be getting in touch with and help, I guess, to mystify that. Um, And then, you know, if you are struggling to... Um, you know, whether there is a way that you can network to get in touch with people. That's the biggest thing. Like a lot of partnerships that I see are from, you know, networking events. And the great thing about the startup to startup industry is people want to help each other. Like it's innate within the culture, which is one of the great reasons to be in it. So going to events, meeting with other startups and having conversations. Um, But yeah, obviously with big corporates, there's less or there's probably more decision-making levels that you need to get through with, which can be a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, so, you know, they identify, I guess, what's their kind of structure that they need in terms to sign off on, um, a partnership at a startup level, it could be a handshake and a, let's see how we go at those levels. It needs to go through an element of red tape. So being prepared with certain documents and, um, I guess a little bit of history of uh, maybe some other successful partnerships you've had early on to go through with. Yeah, no, I think that, um, ties in really well at the me had just about asked you if there's something our organizations both big and small should be doing you know better when it comes to partnerships but yeah um i'm curious to know is there something you wish to see you know or are hoping to see more of or less of when it comes yeah. to, to partnerships and how how people deal with it yeah that's a really interesting question um what I is starting to come through now um, and what I'm really excited about and hopes to continually have is, is strategic investor partners, you know, really, really powerful. I think a, a large property um, organisation that's listed, you know, invested into a smaller um, property startup uh, last year, um, you know, it's happening all the time. So these traditional potentially bricks and mortar businesses that have a large amount of capital um, are, are looking for ways that they can partner with tech startups rather than having to hire their own staff and build something where they don't know. Not only are they investing and providing capital, which allows for growth, 
but they're also providing strategic advice, but they're also opening up that startup to then service their customer base and grow and vice versa. They're adding value to their customer base by providing a tech solution that's solving a problem. So I really hope that that continually um, happens, which is great. So even for startups that are looking here, um, if you're looking for funding, don't necessarily just think I need to get my funding from a VC or a traditional investor. These strategic partners can often be the utopia type of investor and they're looking for ways they can get in. So I hope that that continually happens. Um, and another one to that point is you'd see online that fintech does partnerships really well. They're mm. always partnering with each other, looking at ways that they can really share um, revenue and I guess customer success experience to each other. So what I really hope to see is other tech verticals adopt this partnership you know, methodology and mindset continually. Um, so we're all in a position where we're supporting each other at the end of the day and, and the customer wins at the central um, point of it all. Love it. The customer should always win. That is right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have a question from Varun, which is something similar to what I wanted to ask you genuinely. Yeah. How do you build a successful network of partners? Um you know, how do you maintain that? What are the resources um, that yeah. you should look at? Any platforms that, that really work well? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, how to build that out, you know, just depending on, on where you're at. But, you know, I think, you know, networking is, is a really powerful thing to begin with, you know, going out there and creating relationships, understanding that. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, going to startup events or going to industry events. You know, we know that that's not for everyone. Um, but actually going and, and speaking to people on LinkedIn or these other verticals and asking for a catch-up. And that catch-up doesn't need to be, hey, I want to partner with you. Here's my platform. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something a bit more warm and introductory and saying, hey, um, I saw that you're doing this, you know, within the industry. It's really, really cool. I'm actually in the process of doing something else. I'd love to catch up with you for, you know, 15, 20 minutes on a virtual coffee and create that relationship. Um, so starting, and, and you never know where a conversation goes. So starting to do these elements of networking, talking to your contacts within an industry that know friends of friends. Um, people are really excited about tech startups. They're excited about what's happening. So you're not going to get too much pushback from putting yourself out there. Um, and then, you know, early days, you know, you might use simple tools like an Excel spreadsheet to, to have your partnership list. You might use CRMs. So we see people that are using um, CRM tools with pipelines of contact made, um, first meeting, um, partnership close, partnership potential, and really trying to mm-hmm. build it down that way. Um, and then, yes, once you're more established and you, you actually you've grown a little bit further in your partnerships, as I identified earlier, there's tools like Partner Stack and these other ones as well that can really help you to account manage and and, and understand how they're going. Yeah, cool. Um, love a good Excel spreadsheet. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I never, I never knew how much of Excel I would use in life, and it's, it's all hitting me now. Um, Michael's got a question on um, competition and partnership, yeah, and he's asked when you go into looking for partnerships, would you avoid the instance where the companies that you're speaking to are direct competitors, or would you leverage that heated competitiveness? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting one. Uh, I think it really, really depends on each business and where they're at and what I guess their organizational goals and missions are so um, not to use too many buzzwords but what I mean by there is that okay if I'm a startup within um, travel I keep using this but the travel industry and I'm partnering with someone else in the travel industry and we're fighting for the same customers you know, that can then just start to cross a bit of a gray line because then your customer's like, well, do I go with one or the other? What's kind of the difference? So really understanding what is the product differentiation um, that we can actually either share that customer or we're fighting for that customer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it'd be interesting to do a little bit more research on if you are trying to exist and, and, and share the same customer. You know, that, I think that that's really healthy, but if you're trying to fight, that's where there can be a bit of gray line. So that's a conversation to really understand what they're trying to get and what their product or service and offering is and whether there's any blurred lines there. Yeah. Um, there is, um, sorry, another question from Glenda, just along the same lines of sort of competition. Um, and she says, Sam, how do you balance exclusivity with anti-competitiveness? For example, the recent Peter's ice cream partnership and the fuel stations where they were fined apparently 12 million for anti-competitiveness. Yeah, right. So they were um, just providing exclusive arrangement and not providing it to anyone else. No, yeah, I think that I think yeah. that's somewhere. 
Yeah, um, a great question. And, and that's why I utilize someone like Luna or your own startup lawyer to actually understand the, I guess, the legal ramifications of how that contractually is going to operate to ensure that there isn't any, I guess, boundaries that are being pushed there. And that's, you know, clearly stipulated and put out. Yeah, cool. Um, Glenda, I hope that answered your question. Um, cool. Any other final resources, Sam, that you think would be beneficial to not just founders, but just partnership managers that are looking to think about this a little more deeply? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, there is a, a plethora of resources online to be able to, you know, um, Google and find out. But the biggest takeaway for me and, and how I look at, you know, I'm sitting across multiple startups per day is taking inspiration. That's really big key here. So what I mean by that is looking at how industry leaders within the startup um, market have actually utilised partnerships to be able to grow. And this is where I think the truth of the information is because you're getting proper facts. So, um, and examples to really relate to you. So look at how Xero, you know, partners with accounting bodies. Um, They also partner with um, software as a solution platforms that share the same customer but don't compete on their product. Um, Mm. They're a really good example. And look at what the most successful startups, as I said, have done in terms of these partnerships and then think about how you can adopt that similar approach to the industry that you're solving the problem for. So whatever industry you may be in, okay, cool. What is another leader doing in that industry or what's uh, another leader done in a different industry I can relate back to my industry? And having a look at that to really break down and think deeply about how you can put that forward in your business. Some hearing research. Do, do your research. <laughs> do your homework, everyone. Yeah, um, yeah do your research. <laughs> yeah, do your research. Um, cool. I think before we go, I've got, um, I know I'm going to get questions on what's the best way to reach Sam? How do we talk to yeah. Sam more? So what's the best way to someone for someone to reach out? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think I've spoken enough about this today, but I, you know, I love partnerships and, and love helping people. So, you know, LinkedIn's a, a great resource. So feel free to connect with me and send me a message. Um, alternatively, yeah, visit um, hyperhq.com um, and you can book a, a time to chat with myself or, or one of our team members there as well to discuss anything about your startup and, and where we could possibly help or anyone that's just got an idea um, and looking for, you know, a bit of help in what to do next. Awesome. That sounds really good. Thanks so much, Sam, for joining us today. Um, I think oh, people are already seeing I've already reached out to you on LinkedIn. Oh, that's um, great. <laughs> sounds amazing. Thanks so much, Sam. It's been amazing talking to you. Um, thank you, everyone who dialed in today as well. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we'll be sharing the recording and all the resources that Sam has spoken about. And if you have any questions, uh, please reach out. Otherwise, have a lovely rest of your week. Thanks for listening to another episode of How to Start a Startup, brought to you by Hyper. Do you have a product or business idea but don't know where to start? Visit us at hyperhq.com and book a free confidential session with a Hyper business mentor to discuss your idea and how to make it a reality. We'd love to talk. And that's all for this week. See you next time.